Welcome back to The Remote Life. My name is Han Talbot, also known as Han World, and today we'll be chatting with Sid Converse. Based in the US, Sid is managing editor of the Media Vine recipe site Food Fanatic and the founder of The Sweetest Occasion, which she began in 2008. In this episode, we talk about Media Vine and some best practices, things people may not know about content creation and the process of building a content creation business. So grab a coffee, a tea or something stronger and let's get started. Sid, welcome to The Remote Life Podcast. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. It's going to be an exciting chat. So to kick things off, why don't you tell us a bit about you and your remote life journey so far? Sure. So my name is Sid Converse. I am the editor of a food site, foodfanatic.com. And prior to that, I've been the editor-in-chief and founder of a food and entertaining site, thesweetestoffusion.com, for going on 16 years now. So I have been a content creator for over 15 years, long before we ever knew to call ourselves content creators, influencers. I guess maybe we were kind of using the word blogger at that time. And I began blogging in 2007, launched my site as it exists today in 2008, and have been working remote full-time since 2011. So just about 12 and a half years at this point. For much of that time, I was running my site full-time, doing a lot of brand partnership work primarily. And then in 2017, I signed on as a publisher with Mediavine to manage the display ads on my site. And now since 2020, I have actually been a full-time Mediavine employee, where I am the editor, again, of Food Fanatic, which is one of Mediavine's three owned and operated sites, Food Fanatic. And let's see, during the last 12 and a half years of working remotely, I have moved several times. I have had a baby who is now almost eight years old, adopted a few dogs. I have worked from, you know, cabins in the mountains or by my sister's pool in South Florida. I live in upstate New York and I've always had the flexibility to keep my little one at home. She's never had to go to daycare and I'm able to be there every day for school drop-off and pick up and I would not change anything about it. Amazing. Wrote OG content creator. <laughs> I always amazing. I do always say to people that I am uh definitely of the, the OG kind of like blogger generation. Um long before any of us or really not many of us had any idea that this could be a profession that we could pursue and build actual careers from. So it's pretty cool. Were you like so OG that like you still had to like, code bits and pieces yourself? Like are you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we were a lot of just, it was just a lot of bootstrapping back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is really the day when people were building communities in the comment sections of blogs. And if you noticed someone was commenting a lot on your site, you would go interact with their site. And then we kind of built these little networks of friends where I have a great friend, Amy, who got more into the coding stuff and I got more into the design stuff. And so we used to design and code together each other's sites. And she would sit in Chicago on her laptop and I'd be in upstate New York on my laptop and we would just be kind of tag teaming things and really just figuring out how to do whatever it was we needed to do to try and grow without even really knowing what we were trying to grow at that point. So it was pretty fun. I vaguely remember myself. I didn't really get into the space until about 2013 um when I did my study abroad and I decided that that maybe it might be a good idea to start a blog to kind of track Mm -hmm. the journey and like sort of tell other people what to do kind of in the years to come 
But even then, I remember it was such a wild space. So it was kind of like, okay, like we've heard about these sort of blog things and YouTube was sort of thing. And like, oh, now people are talking about their days and going to premieres. And like, I remember that just sort of, I think I came in just on the cusp before Mm -hmm. it really became about, oh yeah, YouTubers and and like bloggers and content creators are like the next, like people that we're going to see on billboards and whatnot. So I feel like I was maybe the second wave or like third wave after yourselves. So I can relate to kind of, this is the wild, wild west of, like random stuff where we're starting to kind of really connect and make meaningful connections with people from all parts of the world but yeah it was just so like undiscovered before so I I feel that completely in what you're saying in our like the early days I think that a lot of us didn't even really tell anyone we knew in real life what we were doing (laughs) like just no one would understand it and everyone would just think you're weird but I do I agree with you I think that like somewhere between like 2011 and 2014 is when it sort of started to shift to become a a little bit more mainstream and more understood. And then things just really changed rapidly from there. Mm -hmm, Sure. And like speaking of like the change and things like that, like do you think there's anything that people need to know about blogging and content creation that's maybe not talked about enough? I still think all these years later, I truly believe there's still a misconception that bloggers or content creators aren't working quote unquote real jobs. When in fact, our jobs are very, very real. We keep and maintain real schedules. We have real deadlines. We're responsible to our families to keep a roof over their heads. We're responsible to clients to deliver assets on a schedule. So I think, you know, it's kind of this idea that that we're all just freeloading in some way, but you know, oftentimes content creators are working fringe hours while also balancing a family of some kind. We're making real money. We're paying real employees and or contractors. We're paying real bills. And you know, we're we're also doing work that adds value to people's lives. So I mean everything that we do is real. And somehow in 2013 it still surprises me that I still have to explain to people what I do and uh you know that question, how do you make money doing that? And I'm like well, let me tell you. So I think that's the biggest thing is just the awareness that just because someone, you know, works remote in general or is a content creator or a freelancer of any kind, it doesn't mean that we're not working. We have very real jobs. They just don't look like traditional jobs. That's funny. There's a, um, an episode where a lot in the last series that I talked about this quote, um, but it's one that stuck with me since about 2016. There's a blogger here in the UK. I don't know if you've heard of Louise Pentland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she did a, a interview back in, I think it was the end of 2016. And she, to paraphrase, said, if I can make my life look perfect, then I've done my job. And honestly, like that, it's really resonated. Like I know we're in an era now where you've got TikTok and things like that, where like obviously things are a little bit more imperfect. Mm-hmm. But to me, that was like, okay, yeah, I feel heard because so many of us were hearing that like, and still are, as you said. So I think that's such a, yeah, it's very true. It's remarkable to me that there's still this kind of misconception that we're all just, you know, going to the spa every day or something. I don't, I don't know, but there's a lot of real work <laughs> that goes into it. So, yeah. So, sorry, I'm now thinking like, do you think there's a way that we can like kind of, I suppose there's always going to be some sort of like conversation around that. There's always going to be like comments about it. Do you think there's a way of being able to sort of show people like more of that, like job aspect of it? Or do you think there's maybe not enough talked about it? I think there's probably not quite enough talked about it. I think that 
I have seen on TikTok more recently people being like, okay, I'm getting ready to shoot a video for a brand. Here's what it looks like on my end. And kind of like pulling back the curtain, so to speak. And so I think those kinds of transparent conversations really help. But I also just think it's a generational thing. And I think, you know, the longer we go and the more that people are used to content creation existing in our world and as a profession that people can pursue, the more visibility it's going to have and people will just continue to adjust to it. So I think part of it's just time. Mm, and I was also thinking that's a very good point. And I was thinking also, maybe there's also an element of the content creator talking about it more and just maybe, because I suppose it's both sides, isn't it? At the end of the day, being able to show like, yes, this is, this is a normal job, but just like, uh, we see the corporate girlies doing their TikTok vlogs and things. Mm-hmm. Maybe more could be talked about on the content creator side too, to open that world up. I've always been very transparent in my Instagram stories. Like when I'm working on projects mm-hmm. or setting things up, if I'm out shopping for something, if I'm staging something in my house, if my house is a mess because I've been, you know, I've made like four recipes that day, I've never shied away from that. And I think we all love the idea of this perfect idyllic life and this perfect idyllic home where everything is neat and beautiful all the time. I do like that's, I really try very hard to, to live that ideal, but you know, it's not a hundred percent reality. And so showing like, Hey, we are all real people with real lives and real complications and real messes is just really useful also to not only create the transparency that, Hey, we're, we're doing work over here, but to also let people know, like, if this is not your job, your life doesn't need to look this way and you're not failing if it doesn't look this way. So I think there's value to the transparency in both ways. For sure. And that brings me on to my next question quite nicely, actually, that I have been asked over the years, and I imagine that you've probably had it 10 times more than I have, but a lot of people do ask me, how do I start a blog? Or like, how can I start a social media presence? And or like, obviously the flip side of it more flippantly, people will go, how do I get free stuff? How do I go on like, <laughs> And I'm just thinking, because the one thing I say to people over the years is it's not about starting, it's about continuing. And it's about that consistency, consistently mm-hmm. building that business that you mentioned just before. What would your advice be for people who are gone into like the first year or first six months or however long, like, in the very like primary stages of that social media content creation? And they've kind of come up to a year and gone, oh, yeah, no, it's actually not sunshine and rainbows and like shiny things every day. There is a lot of effort that goes into being a social media creator. Do you have any advice to somebody on that, say, like second year mark? I think my first piece of advice for anyone who's starting blogging is to write about what you know and what you love. Mm -hmm. And then when you're ready to level up, learn as much as you can about best SEO practices learn how to to use tools like Google Search Console to determine where you're ranking to help inform your content plans. And then most importantly in year two, just keep going. You need to build up your content, constantly be looking for areas to improve your content and just don't give up. I think that's really where the magic starts to happen for a lot of people. Year one is going to be slow, but you're excited. And then year two, year three is where people can start to really build and see some success, success, but you just, you can't, give up early. Blogging is definitely a long game. It's a really rewarding one. And in year two, I think it's just about learning as much as you can and trying to level up and, you know, just kind of digging in your heels and going for it. Essentially, it's like any other business, right? 
<laughs> it's the same if you've got a blog, a startup product, anything, right? It You kind of have to look further afield and think of it more like an investment versus and a quick buck as it were is what I'm kind of hearing kind of from what you're saying but I think it's very true because the way you're describing it is just like you would describe a startup to anybody it's yeah it's completely accurate if you're going into it for the free stuff which I mean I understand like we're all humans and there's a certain amount of allure there if you're going into it just for the money I also understand that we are humans. We have to buy things. We have to pay for things. I don't think there's any shame in like wanting free stuff and wanting to make money, but it doesn't happen overnight. So you have to be writing about something that you're truly passionate about that you want to share with people. And you need to put the work in to learn the skills, to get that content to the people who need who need it in their life and who can be best served by it. So just you know, understand that all of the other things will follow, but the content has to lead. It all starts with the content. And so you've got to put the work in there first. For sure. And obviously you've mentioned your community that you had kind of quote, air quote, back in the day. How much would you attribute to having some sort of community to your success now? I honestly attribute almost a hundred percent of my success. I don't know if I know days where I was tired and still working a full-time job and running a site full-time, if I would have had that gumption to do it, if we weren't all sitting on Twitter, the good old Twitter days, like OG Twitter days also, if we weren't all sitting on Twitter, chit-chatting back and forth or sitting on Gchat, you know, chatting back and forth between time zones, just having conversations. I think that community is a huge part of my success. And we all really were just this band of, of women we didn't really know what we were doing, but we were all fired up with a common goal and we learned together, we grow together and we, we push each other. And that was huge. Really for me, it was irreplaceable, but we also didn't have the kind of educational resources or outlets to learn. There was no roadmap for how to become a blogger. There was no roadmap for how to build a career as a content creator. And those things are more known now. There's more known path. So I think you can do it now without that same kind of community, but a community for sure definitely helps because when you're isolated at some point, it's going to be a lot easier to give up. So just that curiosity, are there any communities that you lean on now or like that you would recommend people go check out? There are so many Facebook groups that are specific to the area of content creation that you're interested in. So whether you're aspiring to be a food blogger or a travel blogger, there are so many Facebook groups that are really active and give tons of really great advice. I would seek out a group that is kind of at your level. So it's more beginner or it's more, you know, if you're looking for a group that's more veteran in nature, just kind of look at that. And usually you can see that when you go to uh, start, like to enter a group they might have those questions where they tell, you know, they've got the guidelines for joining the group or they have some questions for you and you'll kind of get a feel for whether or not your peers are in that group. And if I'm looking for Facebook groups, I kind of always look for like the number of posts, new posts in the last day, week and months to give me an idea of how active it is. And I think mm-hmm. there's still a lot of great Facebook groups exchanging a lot of great information. And I also think that people are really building community on TikTok. So I think searching hashtags on TikTok for the content creation area that's specific to what you want. I think that people are are really building communities and finding a lot of support there as well. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Facebook is definitely still a good place to go for that. I think it's, uh, I completely agree. So talk to us about Mediavine and who is Mediavine for? 
So at its core, Mediavine is an ad management company serving primarily small, independent online publishers with a mission to help content creators build sustainable, thriving businesses online. So we offer not only our ads, which are the display ads that appear on people's sites as you're kind of scrolling through someone's content and enjoying the recipe that they've created for you, but we also have a range of software tools and resources designed to help publishers foster greater engagement with their readers. Ultimately, at Mediavine, we recognize that building those relationships with with readers is what allows content creators to really turn their passion and expertise into a revenue-generating business. So that's one of our real end goals at Mediavine is to help people kind of build those relationships and those connections. And we offer all kinds of free education. So there's really no gatekeeping back to the, you know, now there's like kind of a roadmap. Mediavine is one of those resources that sort of outline a roadmap for of sorts to help people really thrive in this industry. So, you know, if it's someone who is a current Mediavine publisher or aspires to become one, you know, I would suggest that you follow us on Facebook, read our blog at Mediavine.com. There's tons of resources there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll find all kinds of tips on everything from content optimization, SEO, and really practical advice on how to grow your traffic and build a business. We also have more in-depth classes available in Mediavine University. So you can really scale your business, whether you're just getting started or you're a more seasoned professional. At the end of the day, Mediavine serves most variations of lifestyle publishers. So if you're aspiring to be a food blogger, a gardening blogger, a travel blogger, um, we serve sites that deal with, you know, different kind of like financial topics. So whatever your passion is, there's a solid chance that Mediavine is um, able to serve you in some way. And if nothing else, all of our educational resources are free for anyone. So it's it's pretty great. That was an excellent... <laughs> Like, wow. So internally and externally, I often refer to myself as like the Mediavine like cheerleader. I am such a fan <laughs> of Mediavine. Like having been a publisher for over six years now and an employee for uh, over three, I just absolutely love this company and what they do for people. So I've got like a real elevator pitch down, like. I can talk to you about why it's the greatest place to be aligned as a publisher and also the greatest place to work as a human. So um, where are my pom-poms? I can, I can hoot it up for sure. <laughs> Too bad. Like, that's a very good, like, why, why is it the best place to be a publisher? Everything that Mediavine does is really about pushing our industry forward and protecting and advocating for small independent publishers. So in addition to all of the educations, all the education and resources, and obviously the incredible ad management products and all the things that we offer to publishers directly, Mediavine is also always really at the forefront of conversations about where the industry is going and how to protect small publishers on the internet. Their vested interest, our vested interest is allowing the web to continue to be free and making sure that there's a place and a foothold for small independent creators to be a part of that conversation. And Mediavine is kind of moving in front of the curtain and behind the scenes toward that end at all times. And, and the mission is always, how do we do more for publishers? At the end of the day, obviously, Mediavine is a for-profit corporation. Like that's just the reality of business. But the other reality is, 
you know, we really believe strongly that rising tides raise all ships. So if our publishers are thriving, then we're thriving as a company, our employees are thriving, and then we can just do more to help our publishers. It's just one hand washes the other. It's just a great kind of relationship. And that relationship and that commitment to our publishers is forefront in every conversation that happens, um, even behind the scenes. You can definitely tell you're very passionate about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. There's something about like when people are passionate about something, you're kind of drawn in so much. It's wonderful. I have two questions to kind of follow up on that, actually. Um, Obviously, there are a certain... There's some requirements you have to meet as a creator, right, in order to qualify to be a Mediavine publisher. Mm-hmm. For people who are perhaps, again, maybe thinking of that person in their first year of content who are aspiring to be a publisher, is there any way they can get involved with Mediavine in some way to sort of, uh, so they can kind of obviously aspire to that and kind of do what they can to be involved? Yeah, absolutely. We have the Mediavine Facebook page has tons of resources and a lot of conversations happen there. Our threshold, our traffic threshold is 50,000 sessions a month. Typically we suggest that people can apply as they're right at or approaching that amount. You also have to kind of have some consistency in the amount that you've been publishing and for how long, but um, a lot of people can, can hit those goals fairly quickly depending on, you know, all the various components and the internet just being a fickle thing as she is. But getting involved, I would say to kind of learn the best practices again, like following along with our blog, there's so much information there that is going to be relevant for people who are just starting out as they've kind of got, you know, becoming a media buying publisher as a goal in their eyesight. Then I would definitely suggest, you know, following along on Facebook, YouTube, and following our own blog at mediafine.com because that is there's just a wealth of information there. And if you follow along with those best practices, the traffic is going to follow and you'll be primed and ready. Simple. Straight, straight yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. <laughs> and then you also mentioned um, about Mediavine being at the forefront of industry conversations as well. And I just wondered when you were saying that, which were the particular conversations that came to mind or like is there anything that you'll be ha- you think we'll be having more conversations around in say the next six months to a year i think that mediafine really is just always sometimes intentionally and uh, sometimes just by good instinct our co-founders are like brilliant people. We have brilliant people who work for us, all of whom are very, very passionate about this and sort of just have the pulse. So everything from, you know, how Mediavines adds lazy load. No one was lazy loading ads when Mediavine came along and sort of switched the industry on that. There's things like that that now seem little, but at the time were odd and huge and has really influenced, you know, an industry entirely. And there's other things like we have this product that we talk to our publishers a lot about Grow, which is effectively at the end of the day, it's a reader engagement tool. But a lot of what it is designed for is helping sites prepare for the end of... (laughs) If there's any Mediafine publishers listening right now, they're going to laugh because we talk about this all the time, that the end um, or the phasing out of third-party cookies is really going to change the landscape of how, you know, ads are served and how they're monetized. And so Mediavine is working really hard to kind of be at the forefront of those conversations and providing 
resources and solutions for publishers. And so it's just sort of every aspect of how ads are delivered, how it impacts people and their livelihoods. Mediavine is there anticipating those conversations, looking ahead, planning ahead. One of the things that we often talk about is that because we are privately owned, we've never been sold, we don't have any investors, is that we're not looking at our earnings at Mediavine quarter to quarter. We're already thinking two, three, four, five years out or more and trying to anticipate as best we can what those changes are going to be, what shifts we might see coming down the line and how we can provide solutions for publishers to sort of, you know, as much as you can sort of bolster yourself against those shifts. Because as we all know, every time Google drops an algorithm change or every time Pinterest drops an algorithm change or Facebook drops an algorithm change, people's livelihoods can really be impacted by that. And so just seeking to always be Future casting and forward thinking and looking out long range is really a huge commitment that Mediavine makes to, you know, our publishers across the board. And I'm assuming that can, is that stuff that you guys talk about on your social medias quite constantly? Is there, or is there a newsletter that people can go to for that? We talk about a lot of that kind of thing as it comes up on, you know, a combination of LinkedIn. We do regular Facebook lives that then later end up published on our YouTube channel where our CEO, Eric Hochberger, will often kind of give people sort of like a, a state of the vine, sort of like an industry update, sort of what we're thinking about, what we're building on, what we're looking forward to, what we kind of see on the horizon that we're starting to prepare for or think about on our end. And so that's really where we communicate a lot of that information. I'm just thinking that's a really that's really exciting. And yeah, my eyes went wide when you're talking about third party cookies because oh, I'd be curious to hear that conversation. Um. <laughs> Nobody at Mediafide wants to have that conversation anymore. It's like a running joke, but it's a really real thing, which is why we have been talking about it internally and externally for so long already. And we're gonna continue to be there to help usher everybody through the shift in the industry. So it's really exciting. I'm just thinking there's gonna be a, probably definitely at least a handful of people listening to this who will be curious to follow along on those updates specifically so that's really exciting stuff coming back to the sort of more individual business side of things and from your own experience on creating content um how have you stayed consistent with creating content i know i mentioned this before and i will mention this (laughs) forever But the best way to stay consistent is to be producing content that is naturally in sync with your personal passions and interests. If you are bored, you will not be able to consistently deliver the content that you need to grow. So as much as it's like flippant to say, you like, don't overthink it. Don't go into it thinking about what kind of money you can make. You need to go into it thinking about what are the one or two or three things that you get so fired up about in life that you could talk to strangers about it every single day for hours on end and be just as passionate to do it uh, do it again the next day. That is going to be the foundation of consistency. It's not, hey, I see that there's a lot of opportunity in this area. If that area is boring to you, it is never going to happen unless you're just a machine and those people exist. Mm-hmm. I am not one of I am not one of them. I can wax you poetically all day long about what kind of appetizer you should make for Thanksgiving or what sort of dish you should bring to the next potluck you're invited to. And I can talk to you all day long about the best way to stage a really simple party at your house and how I swear it's not stressful to entertain because for me, it's not. 
But if you needed me to talk about balancing your checkbook, um, I'm not your person. And I, I'm not going to get fired up about talking about that. And so I'm not going to have the drive to create that content. So starting with what fires you up, what excites you, what are the things you know that you find yourself thinking about when you're at your rest time? And then from there, you build a schedule and you stick to it just like you would any other deadline. And it's not always that simple, but it is also always that simple. Do you use any like scheduling tools or things like that? Because I'm just thinking like that's a lot also to think about every day, right? And I mean, is there anything that you maybe use to kind of help sort of alleviate the content? So I'm a real big fan of good old fashioned notebook and paper. I work for a tech company and you will see me in meetings scribbling notes. So always keeping someplace where I can write down post ideas. I have, I use the notes app in my phone similarly. And then when it comes to actually looking at schedules uh, for food fanatic, I've been using a new system in notion, which is at first I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I really like notion. It didn't seem like cute enough for me. I think I'm a very visual person. I like things to be pretty. And I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. This doesn't work for me, but it does really much work for me. And you can make things really cute in notion and it's deeply satisfying to do so. And so I've created a calendar system in notion where I can track all the posts that we have upcoming and kind of have like columns for what the posts are and then which writers are working on it and then the date that we intend to publish it. But the really great thing is it's like drag and drop. So when you're in calendar view, you can just sort of pull it and be like, well, this didn't come together or actually this is more timely. And so you can just pull it and change dates and you can see it all in a calendar format. That's very, very satisfying. And that has been hugely useful. And it's also really helpful because the writers can go in and sort of sort and see just their stuff or they can, you know, they can see my stuff, like whatever you can sort it a million different ways. And so it's really, really helpful. And so I'm on a big notion kick right now. I'm very much enjoying it. What's really funny is that's probably why I'm smiling <laughs> because the amount of times that notion has come up on this podcast, it's hilarious. <laughs> notion is big. <laughs> it's just, I wanted to love Trello. I wanted to love mm-hmm. Airtable. I, there are aspects of each that work well for me and are great, but I never had anything that I could consistently just keep up with. And I would just revert back to like the the stuff in my head. And I will say that this notion system is the first thing I have found where it really has allowed me to sort of take all my little bits and pieces of thoughts and fragments of ideas and, and notes and notebooks and in my notes app and put it all into one place and kind of make something visual that actually works for the way my brain works. So it's been a nice discovery. I think that's exactly it as well. If you're somebody who is more kind of creative, especially I'm, I'm the same. And like, I like the fact that I can put pictures, the fact that I can to maneuver things around. Cause you know, five, six years ago, I mean, yeah, I'm not quite sure how long Notion's been around, but five, six, six years ago, we were going, oh yeah, put all your stuff in Excel. And I was like, I want to be comfortable with Excel, but it just doesn't do what, yeah, my creative brain mm-hmm. needs to do in order to inspire me. So I'm, I'm glad, I just, I love that Notion is like <laughs> a consistent platform that we're all going to as creatives and individual freelancers as well. So that's amazing. 
Agreed. I think it's fantastic. And I, um, uh, said of 2022 cannot believe that said of 2023 is saying this, but it's true. Notion that's fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you mentioned writers. Are these writers for your, for your team specifically? Cause you've got a team, right? For the, your blog. So for my site, my site is less active now since I am running food fanatic full time. And that's been more of a juggle than I thought it was going to be. It is definitely an area of focus for me. But traditionally, the way I ran my site was I had uh, contributors who would do Mm. writing. I also employed an an assistant and a photographer. So we would do a lot of batching of recipes and DIY shoots or various content types. We would typically shoot one full day a week with the three of us on site and then as much as I love to shoot photos and do shoot a lot of my own stuff, there was a point when I had an infant where I realized it just made sense to streamline the workflow. So we would have an assistant on site who would be falling behind me doing dishes, or I'd be like, I need two limes sliced in this exact fashion. And she'd be working on those sorts of things while I'm actually cooking, styling, and then working with our photographer to take the photos. And then the nice thing was the photos just would drop into Dropbox and be ready to go. And I could just turn and burn on the actual writing portion. And so that system worked really, really well. At Food Fanatic, we do have a small team of writers who contribute on a regular basis. And they are all, you know, contractors at this point, uh, which is how uh, we work with a number of different freelance writers across Mediavine's three owned and operated sites because we have three in total. So um, I'm actually working on building up the Food Fanatic team right now a little bit. I think we're ready to level up a little bit. So I've actually been having some conversations this week. And I think as far as when it's like time to outsource or build a team, I think it's all very personal depending on your goals and your sites and a bit of it is just gut instincts but i think a good sort of benchmark is when you feel like you're limited in your ability to grow or to produce more content or the level of content that you want to be able to produce that is a great time to consider bringing on help so you can start small sort of decide what areas you need help with the most and build from there so it could be a writer to help with actually writing or doing SEO optimization. Sometimes people kind of love blogging and they love recipe creation, but they don't love the sitting and formatting of a post. So maybe you're somebody who is better off testing your recipes or creating the notes from your most recent trip or you know creating the guides, but then passing it off to a writer or an SEO kind of expert to do the actual blog post itself. It could be a photographer to help streamline that part of the process, or it could be a VA to help thing, with help with things like email or social media management. If those aren't your strong suits, I have a friend who has run a site for a number of years, and she's very forward about the fact that she is not great with email. She will ignore it. She gets behind. It's a real point of stress for her. So when she first hired. She really hired someone to just help with those administrative tasks that were sort of hanging over her head that she just didn't feel like she had the time uh, to get to in the day. And then she'd be overwhelmed because she was so behind on all of it. So that was the area where she said, this is how I free up space to be able to do my best work. So I think 
a lot of it is sort of identifying where you need the help or what you just don't like doing and then finding the people who are really great at it and start with someone a few hours a week and build from there. I love that you answered the question. Like before me asking, that's amazing. That's amazing. But you you touched upon a point that um again I've talked about before because it just hits home. And I think the more I talk to creative-minded people and visual-minded people like yourself, I think it's definitely rings true that trying because trying to explain scaling business to a lot of people, it, it's difficult because as you said, it's it's individual to everybody and there's like no one formula for doing it right. But what I'm gathering more and more from creative-minded people is that they have to almost sit and ask themselves. It was Chelsea Kawaii who said, how can I get back to creating? And that was how she started scaling was because she then started going back to what she was good at, which is taking the content, posting, being the, like the forefront of this brand. And then, as you mentioned, you know, doing the bits and pieces, giving the bits that she was not as strong as, or was maybe taking her away from what she needed to do, then meant that she could get back to what she was doing best and scale it from there. So I love that that's kind of a... It's so, again, so simple, so straightforward. But for anybody who's a bit more sort of like visual and creative, that's a good way of looking at it as well. I also think it's, especially when you're talking about something that's fully yours, right? Like it's your baby, Mm -hmm. it's like a child. It's really hard to give up any piece of it. And so kind of being like, okay, this is the time to pull back and let someone step in and help me. It's just, it's a difficult thing. It's interesting because even with Food Fanatic, which you know operates completely differently than than my site ever has, as editor, the, the bottom line is I'm very passionate about writing. I am passionate about the content planning. I am like, you know, I love to shoot photos. Like every aspect of of that is really what I love to do. And so realizing that I'm sort of at a point with Food Fanatic where you know we're looking ahead to launching a new site probably at the beginning of next year that's going to be built on our trellis framework and it's going to be super super exciting we're kind of developing some new things there that'll be available to publishers and we're kind of looking at ramping up our content production in line with that it's just time we're making some big shifts and and looking to sort of push things forward for food fanatic and so i realized i'm at a point where we really need to scale to the point where I'm doing little to none, none of the writing, really. I just need to be able to be there to make the plans and to work on the things behind the scenes and to lead a team and then obviously be there for the editing component and making sure that everything is running smoothly. But in order to have that time, I'm going to have to basically not be involved in the writing or to a much less extent. And so that's a conversation that we're having there, which is why I'm looking on build, I'm looking to build that team now as well um, and sort of building that framework so that we can be ready to go when we're ready to really level things up. So, but on the other hand, I don't want to let go. <laughs> you know, you don't want to let go is in many ways, food genetics sort of like my other baby now. And so realizing that at some point, like I did yesterday, you've got to let your second grader walk into the school building they can't stay home forever. It's sort of like that when you're building something as a as a content creator too. Oh, <laughs> I got myself on mute for that. But that was just, I'm kind of behind the scenes going, oh yeah, that's so true. <laughs> oh, man. It really is. It, it, at one point, and I say to people, you know that also a brand or a project or a company is starting to do well when it's no longer yours, like fully mm-hmm. yours. 
when people start taking ownership of your product, that's when it's really going to start rolling, which is exciting. Um, It is exciting. I'm excited to see where like your journey takes you next. That's really cool. Yay. I'm excited too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I, before we jumped on the podcast, I did actually ask other people if they had any questions for you as well. So I'm just going to read a couple out. Okay. So first one was, from Vicky Day, who says, I'd love to hear some advice from someone for somebody who is just getting started uh, with a limited budget. What are the best things to invest in? Um, say equipment, paying to outsource tasks. What are your thoughts? I would say regardless of someone's area of content creation. So whatever their specialty is, whatever their area of expertise, investing in all the free SEO education you can is hugely important for all of us OG bloggers. We weren't thinking about SEO or we, we were doing things like renaming our images. And that was the extent of where we were taking SEO at first. We were not making any content plans with SEO in mind. I call it blogging from the soul. And that is what we were all doing. And it worked for many of us, thankfully. (laughs) I'm really glad that it did, but it's kind of a thing where I look back and it is so cringeworthy where I'm like, I don't, wow, we have no business having these jobs because we really didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> All those tools are there now. So taking the time and investing time, which is completely free and you know, just learning as much as you can about SEO for content or on-page SEO, I think is really, really the biggest thing. And then my, like the, as far as a monetary investment, my suggestion would be to make sure you have a custom domain that you are, you know, paying for good, but affordable hosting and that you are working on WordPress. That would be the first place I would put my money, regardless of what someone is creating content about. You want to have your own domain name. You want to be on WordPress and, you know, look for a host that, is kind of set up for, you know, page speed optimization optimization and all that good stuff, but that is affordable. There's a lot of great options out there. And then if you're anyone who has a visual component where you need to be creating your own photography, if you don't have the money or the skills or the knowledge to, you know, have like fancy camera equipment, then getting the best phone with the best phone camera you can will take you really, really far. And then shoot and raw on your phone and edit in Lightroom. But that's a whole other conversation. I love that. And yeah, I was I was also thinking, yeah, there are so many more resources now available for people free that you don't need to invest. Like, sorry to anyone who's got a course, but there is so much content on YouTube, on TikTok that that will help you miles. And then what I was kind of getting from what you were saying is that invest in the custom domain, which is essentially your business name and what's going to take you the, you know, long way and Mm -hmm. thinking about the other stuff next and just getting kind of, yeah, just building up as you go along, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's it. Totally. I mean, the SEO is all that you're going to get so much education completely for free. I've, I've never paid for any SEO instruction or education. You can learn as much as you want to learn. You can learn it for free and Think of your domain name and your content management system, you know, such as WordPress, 
and you're hosting, that is like the cornerstone of the foundation of what you're going to build. So that's the only place I would put money right away. And, and you're not talking about very much, very much money at all. So that's great. Vicky then also asks, are there any costs that you would maybe say, maybe wait until later? Or are there any, I'm just thinking kind of like from your experience, is there anything that you personally maybe uh, spent money on straight off and thought, no, that could have waited for a bit longer? Or is there anything that you, you not regret, but wish you maybe had reconsidered before investing in? I think for me, because my content is so photography heavy, that... I don't have any regrets necessarily. I actually just wish I had done it a little sooner. I mm. sort of wish I had found the way and taken the plunge. I had a really great year one year and, and everyone's doing that thing that you do where you're making last minute business purchases in December to sort of like lighten your tax load, let's be honest. And that was the year that I took the plunge and was like, I'm finally buying this camera that I want. I'm finally getting this ridiculously expensive lens. And it was a total game changer. And in reality, I, I could have afforded it sooner. I just had this, like all this sort of just built up anxiety about it where I was just like, oh, I can't make a, a purchase of that size. And realistically, it fundamentally completely changed my ability to make money. So... I think for me, I don't know, I wouldn't call it regret, but looking back, I could have done that a few years sooner and it would have been just as wise of a purchase. I think as far as spending, I just wouldn't get caught up in spending um, any kind of money on advertising like Facebook ads or promoted pins. I think there are people who have great success with that, but I think most people are able to have success without it. And so really just, I think you don't have to spend a ton of money to start and put the money into the content itself. So if you're a DIY blogger and you need to, you know, do some project to have the content to share, put the money there, put the money into the content. Because again, especially, especially, especially in the early days, it's content is first and content is always. So put the money in the content. That's such a good point. Because yeah, I've, I've been exactly the same. I think there's never really been something that I've bought too early for content. I'm, I'm normally going, but should I really, should I really? And then you switch and you go, oh yeah, that was actually really good. Yeah. Why, why was I holding on to that for so long? But yeah, no one actually talks about, yeah, buy, do the DIY project, buy the tickets for that exhibition to talk about on TikTok or your blog or whatever it is, buy the, like the flights if you can for your travel so I think that's such a good that's such a good point. And then yeah, as um when you start growing, then it's a reinvestment into your business again. And I guess that's that sort of adjustment from especially for content creators again, it's that adjustment from do I buy a good camera for business at this point when other people maybe get it for their leisure purposes, for example. So it's right. finding what's a business investment versus for fun, like maybe your friends perhaps are too. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> I'm loving this. I could talk about this all day. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> then Destiny, Destiny McLean asks, how do you best leverage video content on your blog? And as I mentioned, your, I mean, in your general experience of. I think in this day and age, obviously video content is king. So I think the best way to think about video content is to think about how many places and how many ways can you repurpose that video content? We all know it takes longer to produce. 
And, you know, if you're not able to do the editing your work yourself, so you're sourcing that out, like there's time there or there's money there. And so thinking about how many ways can I repurpose this one piece of content, trying to shoot it where you can either crop it or flip it. I will oftentimes try to shoot video perfectly, perfectly flat. If I'm doing like what we call a hands and pans or some sort of like overhead shot, I will try to make sure that it's perfectly flat so that I can run it horizontal on a site or I can run it vertical for reels and TikTok. And so sort of thinking about your angles, sometimes I shoot things more than once. If it's a really simple like cocktail recipe or something, if it's a very simple craft project or if it is, um, you know, you're on a trip or you're at some sort of tourist attraction and, and there's a way to like shoot it horizontal and then, then just quickly reshoot the same thing, you know, vertical. If you can't dual purpose it, like just shooting things twice and thinking about if I'm putting the time into video content, where can I leverage it the most number of places in the most number of ways. And then when it comes to video specifically for one site, we now through Mediavine, <laughs> it all goes back to Mediavine, but it's really true because that's my touchstone. At Mediavine, we have ad options that include something that's called Outstream, which is a video ad that um, has a really great RPM. So it makes people really great money. So on an average post, I do not create video content for our Food Fanatic content. The difference is there is that video is a really, really strong tool for SEO still. So if you have an area where you have a post that's super successful for you, maybe you're ranking three, four, five, six, something like that with Google, and you really want to see if you can hit that number one or two spot, or you want to bump a recipe up into that carousel at the top of the page, that's a great opportunity to look at that and say, oh, this is a post that would really benefit from video content. And so I do this with Food Fanatic and I also do it with my own site. If there's a really strong, high-performing piece of content and it's doing really well from an SEO standpoint, but I want to either like secure that number one spot or I want to make sure like I want to boost a couple more spots, that's when I'll go back in and add video. So unless it is something where you feel strongly that this video is going to be like, uh, or this piece of content is going to be a runaway hit and really benefits from the video... I often go back in and add it later versus adding it from the beginning because it is a large, you know, consumer of resources. So being thoughtful and sort of calculated about where and how to use video on a site makes a lot of sense because oftentimes it's really, you need to think about it as an SEO tool um, versus anything else. And then again, can you repurpose that piece of content on YouTube? Like, where else can you use it and how else can you leverage it to sort of serve your bottom line? And that is how I think about video. Love it. <laughs> there are no short answers with me. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Again, I wish I could sit and like talk to you about it all day. But you made me think one thing though. I've been seeing, I think it's Photoshop. And by the way, I, to anyone who's listening and just starting doing this, I also definitely like completely agree along doing a video shooting it in horizontal and also in vertical like my camera album is a mess literally for that but it's so much easier when you're then trying to pull content I have however started seeing that I think it's photoshop have started doing it where AI actually match matches up anything that's missing and that was like (laughs) mind-blowing yeah I have just started in the last literally in the last week started playing with the new Photoshop. So I have a lot to learn there. 
but there are some parts of it that are a little like, oh, I don't, I don't need you to be able to do this. Um, but there are aspects of it that I think are really, really great. So I've been playing around with like the prompting and stuff for that. So I'm excited to see where it can go. And I do, I do think that'd be a game changer if you're able to, you know, more easily repurpose one piece of content in multiple ways because there's a an AI tool that can help. I think that's fantastic. Sure. Practice first, but yeah, oh my gosh, AI is, is something else. I suppose it's the practice so that you know what it is that you expect from AI, right? Absolutely. One final question I have is, are there any AI tools that you use aside from like playing around with uh, Photoshop now? So I am starting to play around with mid-journey for photo generation. I don't personally think it's there yet for my particular style, but I'm hopeful that it may be a tool in the next, I mean, as quickly as AI is growing by next week, who knows? But I think in the coming months, (laughs) it's probably very likely that it could be a reasonable tool for people to sort of create their own stock imagery. So say you were writing a post about something that, you know, you need imagery. Ideally, you would like unique imagery and you want something that doesn't look like stock imagery, but you don't want to take the time to shoot it. I'm hoping that there's going to be a way to produce really consistent sort of professional blogger quality imagery And people can basically create their own stock images. So that is something I'm kind of keeping my eye on and playing with regularly. I don't think it's there yet, but I think it'll be there soon. And depending on someone's, you know, particular style and if it fits your aesthetic, it may be there already. If you need a photo of a really artsy configuration of apples in a bowl that looks like it was like an oil painting, you can get there now. That's not my style. So we'll see where that goes. Currently, for me, I occasionally use ChatGPT, but that is mostly for sort of like a thought generation process. I'm not using it for any actual writing at this point, but you know, after almost 16 years of talking about a lot of the same topics, you do have days where your brain is just like, how many more ways can I talk about apple recipes in the fall? And so... You know, sort of using chat GPT for sort of, you know, thought starters and idea generation, I think um, has a lot of promise. And I think it's really great for like an outline tool too. Like, hey, can you build me an outline for this thing I'm going to write about or talk about? And I think there's a lot of potential there, but I'm not yet currently using it for writing. But again, I love to write, so I don't really see myself wanting to give that part up. But thinking about ways to use it to sort of streamline the process has been sort of fun. That's awesome. Last question. Final, final question. Fill in the blank. Home is where? Home is where your dogs live. 100%. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Love it, love it. Sid, it's been amazing to chat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Life. And thank you, Sid, for taking the time to speak with us. You can find links to Sid and Mediavine's profiles below. Thank you so much again for listening. And we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.